Hello and welcome to episode 318 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 8th of April 2020. Yes, it's my Inside Out Backwards birthday. And joining me tonight, <laughs> me, Chris Thurston, is Gout Bluffman. Good day. Hi, Alex. Hello. Thomas the Chonk Engine. Uh, yes, that's me, Thomas Senior, the Chonk Engine. <laughs> and uh, joining us live from Canada, where it is my birthday, Tom Francis. <laughs> Hello. Happy birthday. Hi, Tom. Thanks. Uh, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, times are strange, and they're strange here, mm. um, but probably strange in a slightly different way. <laughs> <laughs> Just a more westerly way. Yeah. yeah. How is how have things been since you departed our shores for Canada? Well, it was great to move to a city that has uh, a whole load of game developers and have... Um, sort of renewed social life and see everybody and hang out and go to parties and have dinners for folks and then a worldwide <laughs> pandemic completely reversed all that <laughs> but we've got you back on the podcast so yeah so this is nice column a column b yep uh, i don't think we were chosen <laughs> column b under, under any, what i'm saying is it wasn't worth it um thank <laughs> you doing all right, and thank you for joining us. It's exciting. Uh, we, we we held off on this medium for so long, despite the obvious benefit being that it allows people who aren't in Marsh's house to do the podcast. <laughs> um, that it's good to be it's good to be reaping some of the benefit of that. Would you like to kick us off by talking about a computer game that you have played? Perhaps sure. That sounds like a good way to do this podcast. Mm. Um, I've played a couple of things, but obviously I've played a lot of things since I was last on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, recently, uh, a, a good thing to play when you're shut up inside is anything set on a tropical island. Um, mm. Hitman 2 has had a, <laughs> a, a mission there. The tropical uh, island game everyone's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it, it should be. Um, this was added last year, I think. Um, it's not very new, but it is the latest uh, DLC is... Um, uh, a mission, I think, called Haven, um, set in the Maldives, I think. Um, a not just tropical island, but a a as always with Hitman, an incredibly upscale, luxurious resort. You know, everything is lavish and spectacular mm. and um, uh, and lovely. And I thought this was a good time to finally get around to playing that. Um, and it's really good. I really like the. I mean, it's great escapism. And it's kind of the perfect holiday, really, <laughs> in that you get to go to a gorgeous location, but also you're doing something more interesting than just sitting around on a beach. You're trying to kill people. <laughs> trying to plot people's Activ deaths. Yeah. Activity holiday. And um, I've got back to the, the sort of the rhythm of these last two Hitman games um, is very weird. It's not really... I don't start this mission and then try and figure out a good way to do it. I'm just going to wander around, watch people... Um, uh, get told about opportunities, uh, figure out uh, little challenges. You know, it gives you this laundry list of things to do. Like, can you um, uh, uh, strangle this target with a stethoscope? And um, <laughs> most of them are there, not necessarily because actually pulling it off is is all that interesting, but just because if they tell you, if they challenge you to do it, you know it's possible. And so, mm. for example, there's one, there's three targets on this mission, and one of the challenges is. Um, drown two of them simultaneously <laughs> and so now i know that can be done and the picture that goes along with that implies how how it could be done and it's kind of mm. cool actually because um it's uh one of the targets who i already know uh i can drown because she will if i do a job for her she'll meet me in a jacuzzi and um 
that provides an opportunity for that. Uh, but the other target is much harder to get hold of usually, and I've never seen him go anywhere near a jacuzzi. His normal routine doesn't take him there. Um, but uh, he's sort of scheming with this other target, and I reasoned that there's kind of two problems this woman has. One of them, if you do it for her, she'll meet you in the jacuzzi. And the other one, both of them are, are you know, you do the job basically to get her alone so you can then take her out without any, any witnesses. But you could just do the job for her, meet her, like, you know, hand over the USB stick she wants and then just leave. And because there's two different ones, um, I guessed that probably if you do both of them for her and don't kill her, then she would be in a good mood and like meet up with her pal in the jacuzzi, <laughs> which uh, is how it works. Um, so that kind of logic is cool where you just sort of reason about like, oh, they're telling me this is possible and I've got to figure out how. I was, but I've had, like now I've been through that phase. I played it for like a day probably um, in total. And uh, I know all of its secrets. I'm like l almost maximum level mastery. I've done all, almost all the challenges uh, except for, I just haven't done a good run of the mission at all. <laughs> like I haven't got <laughs> Silent Assassin. I haven't done the thing where you just kill targets <laughs> and nobody spots you. Because it turns out to be really hard. Like I can um, control most of it and I can move through the space really easily and get the right disguises quite quickly and stuff. But actually getting away with everything, um, partly it's that the rules are still really fuzzy. It's always been very weird, Silent Assassin, because it says nobody's found. But if you cause an accident to kill them, everyone finds the body. But that's okay. It doesn't count as a body found, even though it tells you body mm. found. And then I remember finding out poison also works that way. You can just poison somebody. They drop down dead on the spot, body found. But that's still Silent Assassin. Nobody's found. <laughs> and so there are all these weird loopholes like that. And I've lost mm. track now of which ones are true and which ones aren't. And so I've done a run that I thought should have been... Silent Assassin, and I just didn't get Silent Assassin. I don't know why. Um, but on, I was trying to improve that run, and uh, I, I started in this uh, villa and um, uh, killed that target in a jacuzzi. <laughs> Almost everyone can die in a jacuzzi. Um, <laughs> and I had brought uh, my sniper rifle in a briefcase to kill the third target because the third target's the hard one to get hold of and uh, one thing you can do is when he's on jet ski you can just shoot him <laughs> and he's so far away from everybody that nobody sees him die and also nobody finds the body and so that's uh, as far as I know a, a uh, legit kill so I'm bringing the sniper rifle I've got to take it all the way across the island he's on the other side of the island he's going to be the third target I take um, and on the long way I'm going to kill this uh, other woman and I'm going to poison her because I know she tastes a dish in the restaurant that's right in the right on my route to the third target anyway. And so I sneak into this back room of the restaurant. Uh, I turn on an ice machine so that a chef comes to investigate. And then I have to pull off this bizarre trick where if you're in the room when he comes to investigate the ice machine, he sees you and he's very suspicious, even if you're, even if you're allowed to be there with, with your disguise. Mm. Um, uh, just because he knows something that's been triggered as a distraction, he'll uh, suspect you. So I have to turn on the ice machine, climb out of the window, and the window doesn't really have a good angle on the ice machine but if you sort of stand right to the side, you can get just a, a narrow slit. And I stand there holding a lead pipe, which I'm going to throw at him the moment the door closes behind him, because the door auto closes after he goes through it, but not right mm. away. I don't want anyone in the restaurant to see what happens next. <laughs> so I have to stand there and then sort of arc this lead pipe through a, a narrow gap to knock him out, climb back in, hide the body, and then just do it. Um, uh, I'll take his disguise, so I'm a chef now, go out into the, the kitchen area uh, just in time to... You have to both prepare this dish and poison it. And I brought the poison with me. Um, I'm going over to prepare the dish, but the other chef is doing it right now. Like he's actually, he's interacting with it and making the dish. Um, and I thought, okay, that's fine. 
but then he just stays there. He's right in front of the food. He's sort of still like locked into it, so I can't barge past him. I can like bump into him, and he looks at me, but it doesn't get me any closer to the food. And when you're in a chef's disguise, you're allowed to poison things just in front of everybody. Nobody, uh, nobody finds it suspicious because it's a chef. That's part of your job. <laughs> um, and so like, shit, I've got to get rid of this guy somehow, and I've got really tight time limit because she's right here. She's just about to taste the dish. Um, so I just go back into the back room and I turn on the ice machine again. <laughs> and I don't have time to do the whole rigmarole of, you know, going back outside the window, throwing the lead pipe in, hiding the body and all that stuff. So I just turn the ice machine and leave again um, so that he will uh, hear the noise and just be distracted temporarily while I poison the, the food. Mm. Um, and it works. He goes off into the back room. I get to the food. I poison it right in front of her face. She's looking right at me when I do it. Dripping <laughs> is like... Vile with skull and crossbones on it, <laughs> on the food. and then um, I do, try and do the cool thing to do in this situation, which is you just leave the room. You just walk straight out, even though you're pretending to be a chef and you t- technically you should be standing around and you know making sure she likes the food or whatever. Uh, you just very abruptly leave, knowing that although that's weird, <laughs> it's not suspicious enough that anyone's going to do anything about it. Um, and I always like that moment of like you just walk out and everyone's thinking, "Why did he just?" Hmm. Hmm. Um, and it's Would you like to taste great. the dish? I don't care what you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what you're going to think of it. <laughs> Bye. Um, and as I'm walking out, I suddenly realize I'm not holding anything. I've left my briefcase behind. <laughs> and so I'm leaving the scene of a poisoning. I realize I've forgotten my briefcase. And I'm like, fuck, I've got to go back in there. Like, while it's all kicking off and the, everyone's going to be super suspicious. Um, and, but, okay. I, my cool exit is cancelled. I turn around on my heel, go back into the, into the kitchen, and I run into the chef who is holding my briefcase. <laughs> he, I must have left it by the icebreaker. Like when I interacted with that, I probably put it down automatically. And so when he went to investigate that, he found a suspicious object, picked it up, and now he's taking it to security. And so this is like a real problem because if it was just in the back room, I could probably sneak past everyone and just get it. But if he's holding it, he's going to take it all the way to a security room like through public areas where I can't really take him out. And then, you know, when he gets there, he'll, it'll be in a security room, <laughs> which is full of guards. So there's, I'm trying to think, like, how the hell am I going to get this back from him? And then at that moment, the uh, target who's just eaten the, the poisoned food, uh, you know, starts clutching her throat and everyone goes, ah, and the chef also goes, ah, and drops the briefcase in surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so I just pick it up and walk away. <laughs> That's rad. That's that's a, a cruel and dark MasterChef final. <laughs> <laughs> Are you finding that these the the new levels like do they build mechanically on the base game or is it more about having just remixed elements um, or re-encountering those systems from a new angle or yeah you, know, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, they do a couple of things um, a little bit different. This one has kind of an interesting. Uh, quirk where after you kill two of the targets and there's just one left, a storm comes in, so the whole mood of the island completely <laughs> changes, and um, it's kind of weird that it's triggered by a kill, but uh, it is uh, just a really cool atmosphere, like proper constant thunder and um, uh, gloomy skies, everything's like, all the tents are like flapping in the wind and the um, trees and stuff, it's really well done, and it has it's a pretty good mood for like closing in on your final target, Um it's a little bit weird that no one really changes their behavior. Everyone's still just sitting out on deck chairs. So. Is, the, is the guy on the jet ski still just happily bouncing around in the bay? <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, nothing much changes there. Um, 
It'd be, it'd be funny if he could die in the storm. Like, the, the way he dies is simply sort of you change something existentially about the environment <laughs> by killing two people, and now it's dangerous jet ski weather. <laughs> or he was like, he was already on the edge, and now this, this terrible weather has just put him in a really awful mood, and he's going <laughs> to take some terrible risks. <laughs> well, the only way I can make myself feel better is radical jet ski tricks. <laughs> I was going to do some moderately dangerous jet ski tricks, but now with this weather, I've got to do some extreme jet ski tricks. <laughs> yeah. Also, they consistently refer to them as water scooters, which I'd never heard before. What? <laughs> <laughs> They're like every, every single time. And it's even like your objective uh, for these challenges would be like, get the key to the water scooter. It yeah, really is... takes this wind from their sails, isn't it? So like, jet yeah. ski is cool, water scooter... <laughs> Is, not. Is, is jet ski trademarked? Is it like Hoover? Maybe oh, it is. Maybe it is, yeah. Yeah, I, but, that. I, mean, I thought it might be like a cultural difference, like in Denmark they're called. Jet, could you call it jet bike? No. Aqua bike, or yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, aqua bike is cool. That's probably trademarked yeah. too. Aqua jet. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they're neither jets nor skis, so. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Car blanche, you can say it is actually a lot more. Water scooters is probably more accurate, to be honest. It's like calling it plane skates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> neither a plane nor skates. Plane, plane skate torment. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, so no, do you think that yeah. these um, these levels are kind of the some of the design idea is that they want a lot of your uh, play and on the certainly for the sort of for the majority of the first hour or so is just exploration getting avenues of attack uh, communicated to you by overhearing conversations and that's why they make the 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 full run so difficult because you're meant to be kind of just you know in the, in the past you'd sort of you'd do the full run first and then you would explore all the side stuff this seems kind of reversed is that like a different do you think it's a different philosophy for the way they want you to discover the level yeah i think a, a lot of their changes with these games versus the older ones is that they want to really shove your face in how many different ways there are to do it and how many um uh, uh opportunities they put in and and uh supporting all these different play styles and so i think i mean you could it probably wouldn't be wouldn't be too difficult to just shoot the three targets like just with a gun and just run away from everybody in the hail of gunfire um it's they make it reasonably arduous to do that and the main reason not to do that is it's just no fun it's just really depressing (laughs) um because there's no style to it uh so yeah i think i think they do want to ensure you get a little tour of of your options and they even do i think this is a new to hitman 2 or sorry new in hitman 2 since the previous one um uh mission stories which are like opportunities that they really push you to do like you've got to do these three um and there's even if you do all three that's a challenge and when you get that challenge it, the reward for it is like a silent sniper rifle so it's a, a, like an actually useful thing mm. and i think that's the only challenge that actually gets you something um so they they really push you to do that those are a little bit annoying there's, there's a, one of them has a really nice idea to it which is th- that woman who wants the usb key um she is trying to get it back from um her boss who is also one of your targets and he also wants it and because someone's stolen it and so you can one of the challenges is to give it back to both of them <laughs> and the first you read that i think oh that's how would you do that and they think, oh well the incredibly obvious way <laughs> i'm literally here to kill them <laughs> uh, 
but uh, annoyingly it doesn't work in or yeah it, it doesn't work if you do it in the wrong order so i gave it to the the boss killed him got it straight back it was actually kind of brilliant because he um when you give it to him he promotes you like um, i was dressed as one of his guards but not his like top-notch bodyguard and when you give him the, the usb key he fires his top-notch bodyguard <laughs> and gets, <laughs> gives you like a uniform to like uh become his his proper body does he make you get changed um, then and there because that's not really how well, promotions usually work <laughs> <laughs> he tells he tells you it's in a locker and then oh, I, see. I was actually really curious because this would be a special case bit of ai because in every other situation if they see you change that's a like a red flag it's suspicious mm. even if even if the disguise you're changing into is a legit one um and I notice in this scenario, he tells you it's in the locker, then immediately turns around and sits down in a chair so he doesn't see you do it. <laughs> is, I guess that makes sense in fiction and out of fiction. Like, he doesn't actually want to watch you change. Yeah. Um, right. But the fun thing was he, he, the first thing he does is he uses his special key to open um, uh, his safe uh, to put the USB stick in it, closes it. And uh, I was standing right next to it when that happened, and I happened to have the same key. Uh, and I noticed that unlocking it wasn't counted as a suspicious action. So while he's looking at me, I just opened it again and picked up the USB stick. <laughs> <laughs> while he's ranting about how great I am and I'm promoted to his personal bodyguard. <laughs> um, but th then as soon as you do that, uh, as soon as you have the USB stick from him, or I think as soon as you've given it to him, it cancels the other mission story to give it to the other person. Hmm. And I didn't go all the way there to check, but I think that will actually stop me from talking to her, like the actual trigger to give it mm. to her will be gone so you can't give it both of them if you do it in the wrong order there's just a secret logic that you have to do it in the other way around mm. is that, do they find exploits of you kind of pickpocketing it off him was just too easy I don't know it just doesn't make any sense to, to prevent it because she doesn't know that um, you know that he's dead or that yeah. he, you gave it to him or anything like that um, so you should still want it back a USB key. I mean I guess maybe they're trying to is there a scenario where she could potentially know that she's dead and that wouldn't make sense like if you didn't kill him quietly and got away or something yeah, if like it that was, if it was reported it would make sense but this is like the, the reason this opportunity is there is because it lets you get him alone in this panic room where there's literally nobody can see or hear him or anything so she shouldn't know hmm mm. I guess it's very difficult it for them to design these sort of logic gate kind of if then um, yeah. narratives and not just want to close some things down for the sake of not having to account for those possibilities. Yeah, this one kind of feels like an oversight, like it's mm. sort of, oh, you've done it this way, so this opportunity is no longer available, and then the, the logic for doing the actual thing is tied to the opportunity being available, and yeah, it just feels like a mistake. Uh, you mentioned, you're asking about uh, things they've changed. They, they kind of, with these DLCs, they make very small expansions to the kinds of logic that the thing can take, and so you have this ongoing connection to this woman who she wants to hire you. <laughs> this is your cover identity here is a thief. <laughs> so you're an assassin pretending to be a thief. Because uh, it's a, it's actually, this resort is sort of for criminals. It's for, you know, um, people who are on the run from the law in other countries. Um, hence Haven. And uh, there's multiple stages to her hiring you to get this thing, bringing it back to her and thanking you and wanting to meet you in the restaurant and all this st stuff. Um, and all of that is done through phone calls. And so, because you don't have a mobile for some reason, um, <laughs> there's a phone in your room you can use, but also just any phone in the world works. So wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, you can just <laughs> pick up a phone and, and call her and to give her an update. So like in the middle of their super secret server room where everyone's in like hazmat suits and stuff for some reason, um, uh, I'm dressed... 
<laughs> yeah. I'm dressed as a security guard and I'll just pick up the phone next to the desk and say, uh, oh, hi, I've got that stolen USB key for you. <laughs> Let's meet in the jacuzzi. They just shrug like, it is Crime Island, so yes, <laughs> yeah. yes they do. <laughs> well, that's Crime Island for you. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I move here? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so coming. beautiful. <laughs> it's all the jacuzzis. What have you folks been playing? Well, I appreciate that you and Alex have both been playing the same game, so that oh, might yeah. be a, an opportunity to jump from Crime Island to... Bucolic Woodland? Mm. Yeah. yeah. There's no segue here. Let's just talk no, about no Ori. <laughs> Ori and the win- Will of the Wisps. Blind Forest is the last one. I find it very yeah. hard to remember which one is which. Will of the I also I could have sworn there was three of them. I thought this was the third game. <laughs> I don't know what I thought the second game was, but <laughs> I think it's just been wasn't it announced like a really long time ago? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah big Xbox year announced, wasn't it? Mm. How far have you got? I have basically finished it. I've got Ooh. I've got far enough that I know all that remains is bullshit. <laughs> 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 so I don't know if we want to start with this, but there are certain sections of this game that I believe to be bullshit, and they come at, at uh, certain intervals, and I know now that all I've got left is a chase sequence and then a boss fight, and I don't want to do either of them. So Ori is... So is Ori still a Ubisoft thing? I always forget. No, who, no, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a it's Microsoft studio, actually. What, my own I, studio. Why do I, I don't know why I have Ubisoft stuck in my head for it then unless they published the first one well or? is it because it because it looks kind of raymond maybe it just looks like rayman looks Raymond-y, yeah. yeah i think it does have an ubisoft vibe and it's sort of very ubisoft do quite a lot of like gentle nice platformers i think yeah i mean i'm just wrong so there's no we don't need to like, really <laughs> iron over it's all right, that fact. no no let's try and back this up yeah, yeah exactly. let's try and justify this untrue fact <laughs> yeah. um uh anyway but it's the yeah so it's the metrovania-y uh fairy tale very pretty very platform yeah. platform game correct yes yeah <laughs> do you remember the first one alex um yeah so um this was like i remember it being uh really 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 enjoyable up until the point at which i found it so hard i had to give up and i maybe that was two-thirds of the way through something like that yeah i think it's about the same for me for me it was like a place full of thorns where like every inch of the actual uh, surfaces was spikes basically so you couldn't land anywhere and you're coming out of portals um, and you had to like jump to the next portal without touching anything I remember so that frustrating. Bit. yes yeah yeah like it was full of sort of like so, so the sort of setting is this kind of beautiful woodland and you're a little glowing creature and you've got friends that are cute and, and you know there's sort of lovely shafts of light and motes of dust in the air and, and all this sort of stuff and you're going around on lovely wooden things and it's lovely and then yeah it's the most unforgiving sort of twitch <laughs> challenge that you've ever experienced kind of just thrown at you just spikes an unremitting yeah. challenge welcome to the nightmare dimension <laughs> yeah. it was i think it was also worse so that spiky area is back in this one um <laughs> oh, good. there's another area that's full of portals and spikes but it's not as bad because there are some places you can stand and also, they fixed the um, awful save system from the last one. Do you remember you had to like spend mana to save? Yeah. 
you could only create a certain number of save points and if you hadn't created one in a while you just lost all that progress and now yeah. it's just got regular checkpointing yeah and they got the checkpoints and he's really you know ge generous well fine you know you just don't really think about it oh that seems fair like, yeah yeah no it's been good like i i i really love the first one for its game feel and the flowing way that you kind of loop around the environments and the plot the course is plotted for you to do that and the way that moves kind of link into each other and it has a sort of free form feel to it where you know you there are ways of staying up in the air that you feel that you're uh sort of um improvising rather than kind of following certain combos and things i really love that and that seems to be back in this one like fully if not more so yeah definitely how far any um so uh i have done there's a puzzle in which there are these bell things and i've just gone down uh, which yeah. unlocks a door that goes downwards yeah so not that's that far early, I, think. I think yeah it, yeah it feels very early but um, the they do a really nice job with like the different zones uh have a really like go to town on their theming so there's um moldwood depths i think um huh? which might be that might be the passageway you just opened i I'm think sure. that that's a name um, that i recognize it's you probably can't go there yet because it's uh brutally difficult <laughs> <laughs> um it's actually it's a pain in the ass to play that area because it's all dark um and the darkness kills you so you can only go places by finding some kind of light source that's going to move that okay. you can follow yeah. and if you step slightly out of line you die um which really sucks but once you in the areas you can see and you get to light them up uh, uh bit by bit um it's like beautiful um and horrific it's all like if you had a phobia of moths this would be the worst place to, <laughs> to go because uh, it's just full of these like fluttering twitching insects with like these papery um dusty wings that uh with like holes in them that are flicking in the background and everything's kind of just got this awful like f fungal molds and growths and things um but it's beautifully done yeah it does do rotting very well so I, I, but by the time this is up i think hopefully then there'll be a feature on Rubber Shotgun because I spoke to them about um, about the animation and about how they've created a world in which seemingly absolutely everything responds and touch you know as you kind of bounce around, run past, hit stuff with a sword, just everything reacts to it. Just yeah, you know, everything is, is is bouncy, isn't it? Like every every surface seems to bend slightly under your weight. Yeah, like so they rig everything there are apparently there are hundreds and hundreds of pieces of art in each screen and almost everything is rigged in some way <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of insane they, um, I, like how is it possible though because <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's a big game it's it probably took me 20 hours to yeah. get to the end ish um and all of it just seems completely custom built like uh, any sane way of making a game involves, you know, making some kind of building blocks and piecing them together and reusing stuff. But this just feels like everything is custom and it's rigged to be to respond with physics. And so the answer is, um, you know, that game Intrusion and Intrusion Two. Yes, they hired that guy, and he yeah, I heard this created a system which allows the artist to just in engine to stick uh to, to to rig stuff you know put skeletons animation skeletons on stuff in scene you know as as they go along as they set up the scenes so it's just another part of building a scene it's not there's nothing you know and and mm. the 
the game engine does the rest, you know, make sure that it sort of behaves right, right. as he's, as the as Ori goes near. So were the intrusion games so, the sort of physics-y ones? No, it's 2D size. Yeah, like physics-y yeah. contra kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. I remember those, yeah. Yes. It had a helicopter with arms. <laughs> yes. Mm. <laughs> One of the best game bosses ever. <laughs> um... So basically, the answer is they shove skeletons into it. Just put loads and loads of skeletons into skeletons the ground. Skeletons everywhere. So you, you thought <laughs> now the, the ground is cool. You thought the, work, the moths were scary. It's the invisible skeletons <laughs> that you need to be really afraid of. It's it's the bones you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the uh, you know every now and then I think you find a game developer who's just apparently the person that can do a particular thing, and I've I've really <laughs> forgotten the name of the the person behind intrusion. If anyone remembers, Ele- um, I can't remember his surname, but it's Alexi something. Yeah. Just, just the the bendy two D environment person, yeah, right. The games <laughs> industry's only like, savant for this very particular thing. If you want to jump off something and have some beautiful art sort of bow under your weight, this is the a, person. You helicopters in, yeah, so. exactly. If you're a helicopter, can't pick something up. This is the guy you call. <laughs> <laughs> My helicopter has too few arms. Help me, Alexi. <laughs> Uh, interestingly, you talk about animation. Um, uh, James Benson was an animator on the first game, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. The, apparently, he was their the, the first hire. So it was it was two people, and yeah, he was their really? first hire. Really? Wow. Mm. So yeah, he went from that to Firewatch, and then to Alex. Yeah. Mm. Which actually, like, because talking about people with specialty, I, I always thought of him as the guy who did brilliant first person hands. Mm. And then Alex has first person hands, but you can't animate them, I guess, because <laughs> the players in control of them. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the one thing I learned. He shouted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the one thing we don't need, James. <laughs> you can't animate the hands. Everything else needs animating. <laughs> maybe, maybe he could simply record a series of video tutorials to teach players how to use their hands in a satisfying <laughs> way. Like you, you want to grab for this bucket, but this is how you would do it in a way that made it look like I had animated it. So, and, and that's going to be better than whatever you would do yourself. He's just he's just sitting in on all the playtests and grabbing the playtesters' wrists to make them do more expressive things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. no, the viewer has... can't tell that you're surprised. Yeah, exactly. This has no sense of weight. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this useless hand. <laughs> yeah. Just slapping the controllers out of their hands. <laughs> just desperately wanting them to be better performance capture artists or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> So did did you did you tear up at any point in um, Ori Tom because no people keep, I, I've read several things talking about people feeling teary but um, I was feeling I, I was feeling manipulated by the by the baby owl. <laughs> <laughs> so there's your title. <laughs> yeah, I I don't want to sound cold, but this one didn't get me. The last one did. I remember the intro to to Ori One being like a real masterclass in like within 30 seconds I'm like my heartstrings are being pulled yeah. um, and this one maybe because of that I was expecting that uh, I found the intro to be really long and <laughs> I got really impatient like God, just let me play the damn game I don't care about this stupid owl <laughs> uh, I wasn't quite that hostile towards it but it, it did yeah for some reason it didn't land with me um, and if, I, I felt very guilty then, because it was just so lush there was so much kind of custom stuff done specifically for that that I just felt I, I really should be finding this more interesting. Yeah, I do find it. Um, I find it to be quite a heartwarming game once you're into it because the 
um, at some point you sort of establish a home base, a sort of village where, you know, people are gathering and, um, you build it up and you, uh, get, do favors for them and create a garden. And it's actually got, a, does a really nice line in, um, weaving platformer logic into that concept of a home base that you build. Cause, um, not only does it get more characters you can talk to, give you more quests, but you, when you plant a new seed with the gardener, um, it will, for example, create like bouncy plants everywhere throughout your home. And oh. so from then on, you can jump on those to get to new areas and find new collectibles, um, up in the rafters and up on high branches. And then another one will like grow this sort of climbing moss everywhere so that now you can climb upside down and things. And that's, it's really nice contrast where that area becomes more and more mechanically friendly to you as you start to explore the more and more hostile areas. You know, this is the time mm. that I think the time when I had bouncy pads and climbable moss in my home. Uh, that was when I was going to Moldwood Depths where it's all pitch black and everything kills you. Um, and so that creates this really nice contrast. Every time you go home, you're sort of even more grateful to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, yeah, that's really nice. That gets to something we were talking a few weeks ago about. There was a game that I was trying to remember. That, is this one of the Soul Blade games, like on Super Nintendo, that you you were doing these levels, the kind of like fairly standard sort of hack and slashy sort of levels, but then in between them you were leveling up a town and able to access more and more stuff because you were saving villages in the main off levels mm. or something like that it has that same it sounds like it has that same nice feel of, of of progression that you've done or even though you're on a very very preset path yeah there's a thing in this that i apparently this is in the first game too but i didn't remember it which is um uh what's it called bashing where any projectile that gets close to you if you're if you hold the bash key you can time pauses and you can sort of decide what direction you want to bash it in but more importantly it launches you in the opposite direction and so you can use this to like uh take advantage of a enemy's projectiles to get you to a higher platform that you couldn't normally get to oh yeah and um it's really cool there are so many uses to it because it's i think it's kind of it's always game design magic when you have an ability that does sort of two equal opposite things mm-hmm. this is why i'm always putting swap mechanics in my games because it, if it affects two things in different ways then you'll be forever finding new and kind of unintuitive uses for it like you realize oh wait i can do this like instead of just moving this thing it's actually um the real value of this is moving the other thing yeah and so there are mm-hmm. times when you really need the projectile to launch you in a different direction. And there are other times when it's more important that you don't care where you go. You just need to move the enemy to this other position or you need to, you want to shoot the projectile back at the thing that, that fired it at you. Or there's a certain kind of wall that can only be broken by like pink energy, I guess. <laughs> and you don't have any pink energy. So you have to wait for someone to fire some pink energy at you and then redirect it at that wall. Yeah. Have you, as you've been talking, I suddenly realized how to do something that I noticed mm. and I couldn't figure <laughs> out what it was. And now I realize exactly it- what it was. Have you encountered any homing missiles yet? Homing missile? No, no. So this is a real, like, uh, dumb <laughs> move on my part, but I, there are homing missiles that have, that have big pink energy, and, <laughs> uh, there are pink barriers you need to get destroyed uh, in these areas, and so your only way of doing it is to attempt a homing missile to them. And I was just forever, it seems so difficult and awkward to, like, tempt a homing missile to hit you and then dodge out the way at the last minute is usually <laughs> underwater so you're trying to swim out of the way at the last minute so that it brushes against the the barrier and hits it and then blows it up 
and like it, they have such a tight turning circle that most of the time even if you get it really close it can still just as you move out of the way it still turns and chases you and hits you and even if you're right next to it when it hits you and causes a huge explosion it doesn't destroy the barrier and i really found that like a frustrating mechanic and um uh it was not until i I think I was watching, I was stuck on a bit and I was watching someone else's guide to it and I realized you can bash those. So you don't need to like walk right up to the homing missile and have it almost hit you. You can just get it vaguely near, then bash it in the right direction and you'll basically fire the missile <laughs> at the barrier. And you feel sort of you know, uh, skillful because you, you actually sent it that way yourself. Yeah. It, it does have some things in it that are... I think it's... I, I played with a walkthrough basically. Every time I was stuck, I just looked it up because I'm glad I did because there are some cases where what you're being asked to do or what it seems like you have to do is way harder than what you actually have to do like in that case um and then there are other cases where what it's asking you to do really is the really difficult thing it sounds like it's asking you to do but then once you actually try doing it um you realize it's not that bad like there's mm. a time when you have to sort of juggle something you have to keep bashing this one thing in the air and it just when you realize how far you've got to take it it just seems like oh my god this is going to be hours of trial and error to get this to work and then within about 40 seconds i've you know just mastered it and i can just do it you know without any uh problem yeah the bash mm. thing in general the kind of bouncing off stuff like the that puzzle i was talking about earlier where you've got to ding these bells you do that by bashing them and and they are oh, yeah and it's obviously there to teach you about how flexibly you can fit it into your general kind of movement set um because these bells are quite far away from each other and sometimes you've got to ring the far ones next you know you know, you've got to run one far one and then the other, um, which means, you know, chaining together your double jump and a dash and your bash. And it's like, it's really kind of rubbing your hands and rubbing your hands, uh, rubbing your belly and pat- patting your head to start with. But you kind of. All right, James Benson. <laughs> <laughs> but like it, it just, it, it then it just clicks and it becomes just part of the repertoire. It's very good for sort of introducing things that feel quite alien, but then you learn. Yeah. It is. I, I have a mixed mixed feelings about metroidvanias usually because i frequently have that problem of like am i supposed to be able to get past this or am i just lacking a tool um this game didn't have that problem too much maybe just because i i used a walkthrough so often that it wasn't really um beating my head my head against those walls um but it does the upside of that is when you're in the late game and you, you know you've got just like eight fundamentally new abilities from when you started and you've mastered all the ones that you had when you started um and you realize, like, oh, way back at the start, wasn't there that barrier I couldn't get through? And you're just going to go back there to get some collectible or something. Um, your journey there through all these areas that used to give you so much grief is just such a joy because you're just, just flying through it. Like, there's A, you're way better at, at general traversal, but also B, now those, like, weird leafy things dangling from the ceiling are actually, like, grapple points that you can fling yourself from. Mm. And now you have triple jump, and then you also have a dash, and then you, if you run out of dash you can bash <laughs> and uh it's just like you kind of dance through these areas with like so much elegance and it, it just feels really good just to like uh again as a break from moldwood depths you mm. know going through an area where you just like own it it's so nice yeah yeah what is it about the the these last challenges that you don't want to do given that you're kind of at the apex <laughs> of its you know power curve or whatever it's it does this this line in chase sequences that are spectacular and must have been so much work to make but you it's very much like a read the designer's mind kind of thing Mm. where 
you're running away from some from some it, even if it's like a boss chasing you there is an invisible death field around it so it's mm-hmm. like uh it's like a, a straight line um that is following you that if any part of that line catches up to you you're instantly just vanish and it's game over and so even if the boss didn't go anywhere near you you're like you know all the way off to the side sorry the invisible line caught you and you're dead now um, and you always have to start the entire sequence again. There's never any checkpoint during it, probably because there's always complicated physics stuff going on as it happens, so it's hard to like sort of save that. Um, but there are times when they obviously really love these sequences because there's loads of them, and they, they get longer and longer. And the last one, I attempted it, and uh, it was hell. <laughs> and I died. I probably tried like three times, and I thought, because um, the only thing I have to look forward to is a boss fight, which I'm also going to hate. Um, I could probably just stop here. But then I looked up a walkthrough just to see, like, you know, is there anything else after this that would be worth soldiering on through it? And that chase sequence is so insanely long. It's (laughs) absurd. And obviously the walkthrough I'm watching, the guy doesn't fail, so I don't know for sure that there isn't a checkpoint somewhere in it. But it was just, oh my god, I'm never doing this in my life. That is just (laughs) hell. And it's the all of the magic of it is instantly lost the first time you fail. Because yeah. bet some of them are really intuitive and easy, and those ones were great. They were just a nice little cinematic set piece that felt really, you know, mm. had momentum to it and and pace and pressure. And I got through it, and then a cool thing had happened. It sort of changes the environment behind you, and sometimes you have to platform back over all the stuff that fell over. Um, and that's really cool. But the instant you die, all of the magic is gone, because then you replay it, and it all unfolds the same way, obviously. And it's all of its scriptedness comes, mm. starts to show, and you just feel like you're just doing what they ask you to do at the right time and if you get it slightly wrong you're all the way back to the start and it just feels like bullshit one of them is a stealth section as well like one of those four stealth sections so it's not a proper like speed chase it's actually slow but it is the same thing where there's just a wall of death that is going to insta-kill you even if it doesn't make sense for that to happen if you don't mind-read the designer and realize which bits of the background are supposed to count as hiding you and which mm. ones just look like they would and then from then on it's like remembering those things and never not actually sort of engaging with the systems yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, after that first time, you're not, you're, you lose all of the cinematic effect of it, and now you're just grinding. It's a really unfun game. Yeah, it's a tough problem to solve, isn't it? Because you you want to test people on their understanding of the platforms, platform systems, but I guess you're doing that all the time, and you don't necessarily need to force yeah. it in this way. I think there's there's probably a line they could do in in um, making you feel you're much closer to death than you are. Like if the boss, mm. you know, uh, but first of all, make these sections like 10 times easier. And then when you're within, you know, 10 meters of the boss catching up with you, you have all these effects of like, you know, screen shaking and uh, ominous music and everything mm. um, to make you feel like you're about to get caught. But actually, if you just completely fumble it and you, you miss this jump three times, the boss gets closer and closer and closer. But it's they only catch up with you if you really absolutely fuck up because the difficulty is not interesting. The, yeah. the sensation of pressure is cool, but you don't actually want it to be hard. Right, yeah. It's like the, the purpose, of, particularly towards the end of a game, like the, like big sort of pacey chase sequences and things can be quite good for kind of showing the player what they can do now versus what they could do at the start, right? Like, like the feeling you're describing going back through a level where you can you can now move super quickly. Like they could be done as, not, not rather than as big tension challenge moments, but as almost like celebratory moments. Like, look how powerful and skillful you are now. Um, yeah, like <laughs> you should chase the boss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, right. Like, um, yeah, having it the other way around, having the boss flee from you and you chase them, and you can't lose so much as maybe you can get a little Easter egg or something cute for getting there fast. You know what I mean? That's a way maybe of achieving yeah. something similar without 
without the frustration they, of yeah they do have little race challenges so you find like an altar and then it tells you which al- other altar you've got to get to and you've got this very tight time limit to do it mm. um and those are those are a lot better than the boss chases but they're also balanced to be very difficult so right. i've i think i've only done one of them successfully do you think you will finish it or are you definitely definitely done no, I'm I'm out. I'm done. Well, you're at that, you're at that sort of <laughs> a, dangerous stage in a game where kind of you there's nothing more new that you want to actually see. So like all yeah, you're doing is, is hastening an end. Actually, there is one thing I do want to get out of it that that I won't get unless I play it myself, which is there is a fetch quest chain where you fetch one thing for someone and they give you something unrelated, and then that thing is you have to find someone who needs that thing. Yeah. And that just goes on for the entire game, <laughs> for like 20 hours of play. You just, it, and it, the end of it can only be done after you finish the boss. And so, uh, or after you finish this chase sequence anyway. Um, and so I can't finish that quest chain and that's kind of frustrating. That could be beyond your epitaph. He never finished the, the, the quest chain. <laughs> but I think luckily I don't have a sort of super, uh, compulsive personality in that way. I can, <laughs> I can just let things go like, all right, fuck it. The game's annoying. <laughs> Those but it's such a shame because like all that fluidity, um, the fluidity stuff that I was talking about is is sort of eighty five percent of the game. So so much of it is so good, and then the bits that are bad are just really bad. Yeah, yeah. I recommend it though. Like I, I know, I sort of, you know, I think even if it becomes too hard for a lot of people, that that opening, you know, couple of hours, it just feels so lovely. Just, mm. yeah. just that, just the moments, momentary sense of it is just. Like, I don't think I know of a game that feels as good as it. And it's a feel that's very visual as well. Like, it, most of it's coming through your, from your eyes. From what you're seeing, how the world <laughs> sort of... Um, <laughs> I don't make any sense. Comes from your eyes. That's, well, I mean, it's it's good to go from first principles sometimes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I would say the best thing about the art in this game comes from your eyes. <laughs> What does it feel like? Like if you were to reach out and just rub your hands on the screen, what's the, sen- <laughs> <laughs> what's the sensation? That's too game feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> screen check stuff. You can't physically feel the game. Another rubbish game just feels like monitor. <laughs> I wonder how long you could do that in like all of your reviews before someone noticed that every time you talk about game feel, you're talking about literally feeling the screen. Very flat game feel. Kind of had this sort of glassiness to it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Day 17, indoors, outside feel like glass. <laughs> There's that... Um, uh, that fluidity also extends to the combat, which is really cool. I so I'm playing on easy, uh, which I recommend because it it can't really make the platforming any easier. Um, mm. But it does just mean you lose less health, so it's less punishing if you do fail. If drop forms and spikes, you can get out of it rather than just dying. Uh, but also makes the combat really easy, and the combat is just really satisfying. Like, have you got the hammer, Alex? Yeah, no, I haven't yet. That's that's my next purchase, I think. Yeah, that's, I recommend that. It just feels so good. It's like really, even though it's like made of spirit light or whatever, it actually feels really heavy and like you properly slam things. And on easy, it, it's kind of a one hit kill for most stuff if you can actually connect. Yeah, cause I, I so it's got this- had, I'd forgotten that, um, the combat in the first story is, was really kind of indirect because it, you would, you had these orb, this orb that was floating around nearby. And, and when you attacked, it would just shoot some, or energy at, at nearby enemies and you yeah this one is sword 
I don't know, hammer, and it, it feels like you're directly fighting. They should just give him a fucking gun. <laughs> Spirit light gun. Spirit light 9mm. <laughs> Armor light. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It's nice. Speaking of gun. Yeah. <laughs> if, Who'd have thought that would be a segment yeah. of the podcast? <laughs> <In> games. <laughs> Uh, Tom Senior, I, I believe you shoot gun. I shoot gun often <laughs> and sometimes in third person, mm. uh, which is what I was doing just before this podcast when I was playing Gears 5, or as we should probably refer to it as Gears of War 5. Uh, it's become so colloquial now that apparently you just call it Gears. Mm. Um, but yeah, this game is, uh, this game is free for everyone who wants to log into Steam or brave oh. the nightmare of, um, Microsoft Store. And it's free for the next sort of four or five days. Oh wow! Um, mm. So, so when this uh, comes out, if you're listening to it when it just comes out, go and get it because it's really good fun. Um, and it's it's odd. Gears is an odd series because it's incredibly influential, but also just in many ways, just visually and in terms of the world that it creates, incredibly der- derivative and dull, <laughs> and like just. And literally grey. Like the fir- I played the first two games, and it's just grey men in grey environments shooting at grey aliens that came up from beneath the earth. And it was kind of influential in terms of the cover mechanics and stuff, but it wasn't exciting in terms of as a fantasy. And it was utterly humourless. And uh, most of the humour came from the just sort of like frankly homoerotic unstones <laughs> to the the friendships uh, between the soldiers who are actually fighting all these uh, monsters coming up from underground um, but I'm pleased to report that uh, Gears 5 actually does have a sense of humour and it's also discovered colours that aren't grey <laughs> and <laughs> this is like for this series a revelation um, and also I've just played the, through the first couple of missions it's also just a really well paced action game actually um, that actually keeps all of the original Gears mechanics, like obviously third person cover shooter, so you're slamming your back into cover and then blind firing over the top for to take out enemies that are sort of face rushing you. Um, maybe sniping enemies at a distance if they're, you know, um, and also occasionally just chainsawing them, just really hard. <laughs> and yeah, all that stuff still holds up, and the game looks great and like has way more interesting art design, and actually has just good vocal performances. And really good facial animation and stuff, and it's it's moved closer to Starship Troopers, um, mm. which is exactly the right trajectory for that that series. Like it <laughs> doesn't need to take itself seriously. So, for example, in the first mission, um, uh, and all the all the missions are co-op enabled as well, which is awesome. Um, I've only played in single player so far, um, but you're there with a, your squad, and one of your squad members is uh, a, a floating drone called Dave. <laughs> and uh, okay. there's, a, there's, there's a bit towards the end of uh, the mission it's only the first mission so um, if you don't want this to be spoiled please skip ahead a few minutes um, the, the whole level is exploding around you as you're rushing towards the exit and the exit is of course a slowly closing door um, and all the humans make it through but Dave is taking a hit and one of your squad mates just goes, Dave, no! <laughs> like that. And then uh, he says, uh, all, all the um, uh, the humans just say, okay, it's just a robot. Just forget about it. It's fine. We can just go on. And he says, no, we can't leave Dave behind. 
<laughs> and then uh, Dave like uh, crashes through the doorway and falls into his arms <laughs> as it's still on fire and he sort of collapses backwards and says you know it's incredibly grateful that Dave is still alive um, and then literally five minutes later when you get back to base uh, Dave malfunctions uh, smashes its head against the wall repeatedly until it explodes and then they give you a different robot called Jack and then <laughs> and then that guy's like Jack I love you now <laughs> um <laughs> So it's actually like this genuinely a sense of humour to it and mm. uh, a, a sense of fun and a more self-awareness of what Gears War really is. Is Jack the robot from the original three? No, this, this is a new Jack. Maybe maybe there was a Jack. I think, the I think there was a Jack, but I can't remember. I vaguely remember in four there were some sort of like humanoid bot things as well, weren't there? Yes, they're everywhere now. They're right. like um, sort of droids that um, cog, uh, which is mm-hmm. the name of the... Um, the Earth People's uh, kind of military, because the coalition of organised governments, Tom. Actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, <laughs> good lord! Gears, <laughs> <laughs> law, cops, uh, rifles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, law matters, all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look, I, I was sure I was going to admit this, but I actually fucking loved Gears of War. Like years ago, like when I, when all my game playing took place on Xbox, I genuinely loved that series. Like. I, I agree that it was somewhat humorless. I don't think it was without charm. And that's partly because of the amount of time uh, they spend screaming, they're using a giant worm yeah. <laughs> in the second one, which is often like, it's a mixture of like a man screaming, they're using a giant worm. I love you, dumb. And, <laughs> and, and then like the most hokey, overblown operatic tragedy that can befall someone in a worm-based uh, military scenario. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're using a big worm, but I must also shoot my wife. <laughs> it's very good, is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I had a great time, especially, uh, particularly with the first two games, and especially in co-op as well. Um, they were actually designed, the second one, I mm. believe, was designed really quite nicely for just two two-person co-op. Uh, so it's also that that's still part of the series. Yeah, and also, yeah. there's, you, you got the single player oh, campaign, cool. which is totally co-op enabled. And there's also like horde mode. It's also like an extensive multiplayer mode. And the competitive multiplayer on Gears was actually like really popular. So it's mm. kind of cool that they're still trying to keep that and um, make that happen. And uh, I guess that's part of what this free weekend is about: is trying to get more people into the multiplayer and kind of just. This is the most recent one, right? Or is there yeah, one after right. this? Yeah, right. yeah. Right. I think I've missed this one. The previous one. Yeah, so I've, I've not played one since 2, and there's a sort of like, uh, at the start of Gears 5, there's a sequence that, that says, previously on Gears of War, <laughs> and it's such glorious gibberish. I <laughs> oh, man. enjoyed every minute of it. It's so, <laughs> it's so, so Gears, stupid. Yeah, Gears 3 is genuinely good. That's it. One thing that series manages, which I admire a lot, is it escalates constantly. Mm. And I don't think, I'm not sure Gears 3 left them a huge amount of territory in terms of like how stupid it could get really because i think that ends on spoilers for a 10 year old game if you were i think it ends on your insect mom's private exploding island base and there's a lot of shouting about your dad there's a lot of that <laughs> stuff in gears 4 like yeah it's a, it's a total ongoing thing and um in fact in gears 5 um marcus phoenix is part of your team and you players, I don't even know what his name is. David Phoenix? I don't know. <laughs> you were son again. <laughs> <laughs> you are the son, yeah. yeah. It's not David Phoenix, by the way. I wish it was. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, and Marcus is obviously like very disapproving of 
uh, actions that you take during the course of the campaign. And uh, yeah, it's, it's that that sort of father son anxiety is always there. Um, but they're actually like more. It's more than just that. Like there are other more interesting characters now that sort of come in and out of your orbit. Mm. Um, and actually, have you... it looks great. And actually, as I said before, the missions I've played so far have been really, really well paced, and there's a great variety of environments. And also. Um, the weapons are great. They're really, really good, and you get loads of them almost immediately. Um, and this is what something I really enjoyed about Doom Eternal as well, where you get the shotgun straight away, and then five minutes later you can make it a full full auto shotgun, or make it five grenades, and it's kind of like, well, they've given you this incredibly powerful thing, and then you just get more powerful things. Mm. And, and as Chris said, it's that sense of escalation, um, and you you're constantly able to just pick up weapons in Gears Five, like one that is um, it fires floating mines and the longer you hold the mouse button the further it goes and when you let go of the mouse button it slams down and explodes um that's a really fun thing (laughs) that's a really fun (laughs) toy and it's just for one room that you get to use that and i'm sure it'll come back later but the the next room you're back into your chainsaw gun or your ridiculous pistol that overheats or you get to pick up a chain gun like it's really good at giving you just loads and loads of tools um and letting you sort of mow through enemies quite happily without it being too difficult um, yeah it's, it's quite good I was, I was just pleasantly surprised by it and I, I, did, I just downloaded it because it was free um, but yeah I'd recommend anyone who wants some fun this Easter weekend uh, that's that's a good option the classic Easter game <laughs> yes that's right <laughs> let's celebrate the holiday yeah, well yeah <laughs> it's all about fathers and sons isn't it and that's sinkholes <laughs> and sinkholes throwing grenades into sinkholes <laughs> that's still in the game it's still. a cylinder uh, <laughs> I mean, that's always Still. been quite an elegant system in a way. Like, it, it asks you to spend a precious combat resource to close off enemy respawns, which is more desirable than, like, the COD get to this invisible barrier to oh, stop the yeah. men appearing thing. There's always yeah, been, and, yeah. And the, the way it's signposted stuff is, um, you get, like, a, there's a button that lets you scan the area for enemies. Oh, no, it's, did we lose Tom? Sort of light stealth mechanics if you want to. It, it, it's a way of approaching the did combat arena. <laughs> Hang sort on. Of, like, so am I <laughs> Tom Senior can you hear Tom Francis I can't no okay oh, is it gone no I can, if you reply I can, I, hear, hear I can hear Tom <laughs> I can oh. hear Tom I can That's hear strange. everybody oh no this is inc- so we're having an incredible scenario hold that thought Tom Senior so can Tom Senior hear me no Tom can, Tom, Tom Francis can you hear me <laughs> Quiet. yes okay Tom Senior can you hear me I can hear you yeah okay all Toms can hear me Chris Alex can you hear me for me I hear everybody so for me, Tom Senior isn't even in the list of people here. What? I, I got... Down the side. Okay. Well, this is... Uh, I guess the... the yeah, it, it's cancelled the Toms out. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. So it turns out sometime internet pod fall down in way that in-person pod do not fall down. So we've had to restart this recording process. Hopefully we didn't lose any... Uh, takes, but there's probably no seamless way of make, jumping this, uh, gap back onto the, the hot take bus. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> the, the most important thing is we have both Toms now able to hear each other and share takes. Uh, so Tom Senior, would you like to have an additional opinion about Gears of War 5? <laughs> I think, I think I covered, uh, the better art direction, the better performances, and the better guns, or just and also the generosity of just giving you all of that armory, pretty 
close to the start of the game, not close enough for it to be immediately mm. fun and exciting. Um, and I think that's as much as I've, I've yet to try the horde mode or the multiplayer, um, but I'm definitely going to try and get into it over the weekend, uh, especially because uh, the servers will be full of people who've never played Gears before. Mm. And that's always a have fun you, place to go with the shop. Have you met a character <laughs> called Lizzie yet? Um, I don't believe so, actually. No. Uh, she is voiced by my friend Zara Almale. Um, but I saw, I haven't played the game, but I saw a clip of her character in, I think it's from the multiplayer, and she has a line that she'll say, they have lines that they deliver after kills sometimes, and one of hers is, um, I think it's something like, you suck ass and you hate it. <laughs> and apparently that was an ad lib on her part, because the line was you suck ass, but she didn't want her character to kink shame anybody, <laughs> so she had to add that they also hate sucking ass. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That just makes me want to play it more, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've been pleasantly surprised by it, to be honest. Um, it's not... You don't expect Gears of War to ever be anything other than that kind of third-person cover shooter. Um, but it does it so well, and it looks great, and it runs really well on my PC, mm. which is starting to get old. Um, mm. And it, and that little kind of... little bit of self-awareness, that little bit of sense of humour. Yeah, that's just the extra kind of, like, bit of seasoning that helps the whole thing sing. I heard that it does something clever with, like, you can sort of lock the frame rate and it'll just adjust the, like, fidelity to ensure that frame rate stays constant. Um, so I've been playing around with that a little bit. I, I haven't noticed it at all. So it's got some unusual options in there. So you could change the fidelity of the animation, which is hmm. which is very strange. I've never seen that in any other game. Where... <laughs> is it just, like, more shittily acted, if you know that? <laughs> yeah. well, exactly. We couldn't get James Benson for this one. Yeah, the hands are rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> do, your, do your squad mates just start moving around at five frames a second? Yeah. <laughs> it's like one in one in five people in your squad are T-posing and yeah, time. They, just, <laughs> they look like 16-bit SNES characters uh, from cover to cover. Um, <laughs> so I have no idea what that means. It'll but be that are, thing where, you know, sort of um, in a lot of games when you look at uh, models in the far distance, they're kind of like they start... This is like in um, uh, Monster Hunter World when you see things in the distance like a monster will just be much less finely um, animated like mm. they'll just go between kind of frames yeah. you get that in lots of Bethesda games uh, as well like just not on a... purpose yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's just all of it yeah you might you might see a troll uh, at the distance um, but it will look like a kind of uh, one of the enemies in Space Invader and yeah. it will kind of you know jerk from motion to motion <laughs> see that mountain if you go there the troll will look better yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good. Is there any any additional gears takes? Not yet, because I'm not that far into mm. it. Um, and it's got like a it's got a whole kind of progression system for online that's kind of Call of Duty esque in terms of you've got ranks and you can unlock emotes and unlock ways to execute people, <laughs> which is a very Gears of War thing, really. Like executions in multiplayer have always been a big thing in that series. Mm. Um, but I'm just very pleased to find this old game kind of finding ways to stay relevant and actually still feel like a really good shooter that's been nice hmm. there is a if you don't mind a jumping off point to a different shooter that's finding ways to remain relevant if I may because sure. I did finish Doom Eternal now Ooh. Oh. Um, I, I finished it on I finished it on Ultra Violence which I think is the second is the top difficulty did you? Run. yeah yeah because I'm I've still got it Alex I had to step <laughs> I had to go 
I had to go down. I had to go to the Hackney 20. I was not happy uh, about it. I don't well. think I ever had it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so uh, we, we talked about it on the pod. Well, it was the, the game we talked about on the pod two, two episodes ago. So I don't want to reintroduce it too much, but to kind of move those takes forward. Has everyone else played it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I played a few hours. Cool. So um, it's a really interesting. I think I accredited this take to you because I believe it is yours, Tom Senior, that. It is fundamentally kind of a, a more of a Devil May Cry game than anyone expected it to be, um, mm. in a bunch of different ways. And, um, and it had, I've had a similar arc with it where when I got to the end of the game, I had finally gotten all of the pieces of, it, of its systems in my head. And I think it was you that said that on the last time we spoke about it, Alex, that at the beginning you went through the struggle of trying to hold in your brain all of the different things it was trying to tell you and teach yeah. you at the same time now I'm in a situation where I can't get those pieces out of my head <laughs> and so um, but, but this is what was really interesting about it because obviously over the course of the game your arsenal expands and you get upgrades for your armour and for your weapons and you you know secondary abilities and the runes and all these different things and you settle on the set that you like etc and um, and all of that does increase your power level somewhat but it doesn't affect your power level anywhere near as much as your the understanding you develop for how the game works. Yeah. And what's been really interesting is I've been you can go back you, you finish the game, you get spat back out into your space station and you can load up levels and, and go hunt down the collectibles and things that you missed and stuff like that. So I started doing that. And what's been interesting is going back to the levels sort of from the mid game that I didn't necessarily struggle with, but like, you know, died a bunch sort of working my way through and now I'm like clearing arenas without getting hit. Or like getting hit very much, and and like some of that is yeah, my uh, grapple hook sets people on fire now. But part of it, <laughs> but a lot of it is like you just this the muscle memory that you develop for like how to deal with situations, and because it does something, it does it, it it pulls the same trick twice, I think, or three times, where it'll introduce an enemy as a boss and then throw them back in as a regular enemy later on, yeah. and you go through a period of time where you're like, I don't think I can necessarily handle that, and. Um, and then you learn these tricks. So now I'm sort of living in the, the weird nether dimension where animation cancelling lives um, in terms of how you play that game. And there's so many little things about it that are obviously designed to furnish that. Like um, you can you can cancel. There isn't there isn't there aren't really reloads in the game, but there are little cooldowns that affect how fast weapons can fire, and those are often changed or, or can be uh, cut down if you switch weapons. So the They've made some weird decisions. So the position of weapons on your mouse wheel is not where they are on the radial menu. Right. So in terms of their relationship to one another. And this has to be really deliberate because the super shotgun, which is like the kind of pace setting, it's the, I don't know, the bass drum of the game, basically, is in between the rocket launcher and the ballista, which is the rail gun, basically. Like, so the entire, the, the classic Quake triumvirate or Doom triumvirate is is ne- or next to each other on the mouse wheel and that is i think 100 percent deliberate because it means that certain enemies in the game which are really tough normally become really trivial or close to when you get used to like this sort of switching thing where it's like shotgun blast into rocket back down to ballista shot into shotgun blast which can create like stun locks and stuff like that almost like a fighting game um and quickly get people into the uh stun stagger state where they can be executed and things like that and it gets really really cool and clever and and exciting um and all it really does is stuff all of that information into your brain in terms of how you play it and then 
uh, make you do it over and over and over again until you enter a kind of uh, fugue state. <laughs> and, and then it ends. And, and what's kind of interesting is like they, I think they, the, the, the interesting thing about it, and I won't go on about it too much, but the interesting thing about it is the first, Doom 2016 is a really interesting game in relation to this one because it is a story of them deciding to make like a Call of Duty style Doom or a more traditional like campaign shooter as of that era. And then over the course of its development, pivoting into this much more arcadey, uh, systemsy, sandboxy kind of action game. Um, but it's not a wholly elegant job of that. As you progress through that campaign, lots of your tools and your armory and parts of it become irrelevant. Uh, there are gadgets that are really useful early on that you just sort of stop using halfway through because you've got enough weapons now that you don't need to bother. The chainsaw is a good example of that. Doom 2016 sees that as a problem and commits itself to making sure that every single item, every tool, every upgrade, uh, oh, not every upgrade necessarily, but every every weapon certainly still has a job to do at the end of the game and at the beginning, which is tough to do. Like That is hard to do in any combat sandbox scenario to make everything relevant all the way through to the end of the game. What it doesn't let you do, therefore, is like let things go. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't let you go, like, I don't have to think about this weapon anymore because I've moved past it in my power curve. You, you still have to think about the uses of the regular shotgun uh, when you don't have the super shotgun. What is the use of the regular shotgun? There's two. There are two that I think are really important. One is the um, one is the grenade launcher is the best way to kill cacodemons all the way through to the end of the game because oh, you yeah. fire one in its mouth and it goes gump and eats it um, and then it instantly staggers. Whereas otherwise they're quite tough. The other use is um, your bigger weapons. So the chaff enemies. A lot of the chaff enemies are there to be harvested for drops basically set on fire and but murdered for armor or, or or chainsawed for ammo or whatever if you if you waste a rocket on them you're just going to blast them apart straight away so you want to switch to a less damaging weapon and the uh the the other good uh, one for this is the heavy assault rifle but the regular shotgun is also good for this and the other thing is you can get like the, the, the end upgrade for it's sort of the shotguns like full auto mode means that enemies killed with it drop shotgun ammo, which means oh, you, yeah. in a big crowd, you can actually make a profit, which you can then like, <laughs> reinvest in the super shotgun. It's like the turnip market, um, <laughs> but for death. Those games are related after all. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so there are, you know, and, and every, you know, every part of the arsenal is, is still useful all the way to the end of the game. And like, I won't spoil how it ends or anything like that so much is that like literally all the all the last scenario is really it's a boss fight but it's mostly how long just play doom play really intense doom and when you get a breathing moment fire some just toss a rocket this way to do some damage to the huge health bar that's over there but in the rest of the time you're just going to be in a series of arenas dooming it up and i finished the game maybe like two in the morning having done this last fight for what felt like half an hour of just just managing these mechanics and by that point it's given you all of the other things so you have essentially the smart bomb options that are there to they're there as like limited use mistake correctors so you learn all this finesse and then it's like oh I've gotten this wrong uh, but thank god I was planned ahead and I do have a BFG shot that I can use to, to deal with this or the sword which is basically a get out of tough demon free card um, 
Wait, like, is there a sword like separate from the usual melee attack? Yes. Yeah. So there's oh, a cool. sword that you get about. I mean, it was in. Uh, uh, apologies if that, that comes across as a spoiler to anybody. It was in the reveal trail of the game, so I hope it's. Yeah, not. I feel like I've seen it in art actually, and it's yeah, in the sure. it's in Doom 2016 as well, just not as a thing you can use a lot. Um, and so, but yeah, it, um, but all it is again is another one of these sort of like ways of giving you a get out. So it can only ever you charge it up with kind of rare pickups and you see a demon it will bisect that that's what it does like it it basically skips a demon uh <laughs> doesn't really matter how big it is the only exception is the marauder who's a pain in the ass for his own reasons but hmm. like um and so it gives you these options and then it lets you kind of but those are there to like course correct and it asks you to just sort of live in that that combat zone for a really tight focused amount of time and it's exhausting it's genuinely exhausting because mm-hmm. using all your brain at once but i think i think they've done a really good job of solving this problem of like how do you make how do you make a a system which doesn't make parts of itself irrelevant as you progress that it's not perfect and and the ways in which i think it it hasn't quite landed it is while i think it does a really good job of that not all of the upgrades are created equal and parts of the game some of the weapon upgrades like give the weapon their identity and every weapon has two swappable uh you know alternate fire things basically and in some cases you genuinely will swap them because they're both good Hmm. um but in in some cases it's like oh the alternate fire gives this gun its whole identity apart from the other one which you'll never use so like the plasma gun (laughs) which is normally just like the kind of pew pew you know it's good but it's not like amazing like evolves into the one of the most fun games guns used in the game when you get the i think it's the heat blast is which it the means, thing that kind of charges up as you yeah. fire and it kind of so it, exhausts it yeah it charges up three pips of energy as if as you fire it and then you can you can release them at any time to do like a shockwave blast around yourself and it becomes the identity of that gun the other option is like a microwave beam that locks onto one enemy and cooks them but you have to stay still and hold it while while it does that it just doesn't feel yeah. great yeah. i I went for that one because I thought it would be good to, like, when there's a real problem mm. enemy, to, like, focus damage on them. But then the way it slows you down is just fatal. Yeah, right. And and it's also, like, the game is the game gives you, like, two other ways of achieving that same goal. It's going to literally give you super weapons later on. And also, you just learn to deal with those enemies, like, the quote-unquote proper way, right? Like, where rather than, like, relying on this thing. And then there are other issues, like, the uh, both of... I found that both of the ballistas alternate fires aren't as good as its primary fire. So, you know, there are these little sort of bits of uh, inelegance, I think, in the system where it's not all amazing. But when you've got the, you know, the armory down, I think a remarkable amount of it stays interesting and useful all the way through the end of the Oh, game. yeah, because you're talking about, like, I don't know, like, so you've got, you've got the grenade launcher, the sword, the, I mean, I, I won't count the kind of the 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 chainsaw and and um flamer because they're kind of more integral but like and you've got all of these weapons how many guns are there like six seven so more than that so and each of them has two fire modes so that's three weapons per weapon so like what you're saying is like oh out of a roster of maybe 30 different weapons it's nine yes there's nine guns each with two fire modes except the bfg which doesn't have any so it's Yes, yeah, thirty-five <laughs> weapon variants. I think plus, it's fine to have a couple that yeah. aren't, you don't plus use. Plus <laughs> the two different kinds of grenade: the fr- the yeah. ice bomb and the grenade, yeah. and the flamethrower, and the uh, and the chainsaw. So and the sword and the unmaker, which comes back from Doom sixty-four. 
Um, like, <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, like it's got enough. It's got enough, and actually, it's it's a rare shooter. I think that, like, you know, we're used to shooters either being your guns get steadily better, or we're used to them being you had one gun. It was this M16 we gave you at the start of Call of Duty, and you're still going to be firing it at the end of the game. <laughs> um, I think it's a, it, it's a it's a great job of of doing that, and it feels amazing. Like you, when you, there are so many ways of expressing your your finesse. I think when you were saying earlier about the kind of improv nature of Ori's navigation or, or aerial movement particularly i think doom is very very good at that mm. like i i play i still play a lot of destiny and god i miss the air dash in destiny now like mm-hmm. the you know, destiny's got great aerial movement i think uh, for a shooter but double jump is fine double jump and double air dash into grappling hook into monkey bars is yeah. just it's so good and actually those two games are like ori and um and doom are surprisingly close in their sort of movement <laughs> mechanics yeah, yeah, and I think the I think the game also reveals towards the end like what it what it was trying to do with all of that overwhelming bollocks it throws at you at the beginning because it what it was trying to do is gate your way into this sandbox. I think I think sometimes that's the purpose that upgrade trees actually play. It's not to customize your character or give you something to collect. It's so that you're not overwhelmed yeah. with ways to play. Right, like we're going to make you unlock these uh, weapon alternate fire modes one by one because um, you wouldn't be able to handle all thirty-five of them straight away, um, which is fair. But I think the problem is that they just moved that feeling of it being overwhelming onto a, a different thing, mm. and I think I think it's more an issue of presentation than anything else. And I think I've got some in- like is, what's interesting about it is it's both it's full of lore and the story kind of makes some pretty bold attempts to create like a doom universe and account for the fact that there are multiple different versions of these same events taking place on Mars and, you know, tell a, you know, create a kind of mythos, I guess you would call it for, for the doom slayer and as many things he's torn in half. And it's it does that if if that's what people want, but actually its actual storytelling is I think repeatedly hindered by the fact that all of the investment went into this sandbox and the big arenas in which you play with it. It's like, one of those was, games that feels like a writer was drafted in towards the end, like sort of, hey, yeah. so there's this game that's existed for you know thirty two years, whatever it is. Uh, could you give us a storyline that makes I, sense? Honestly, I don't think it's quite that because Doom has had shitloads of lore forever, like. All of the all of the endless expansion packs for Doom One and Two, like all did move these pieces around, and it's deeply reverential to that stuff. Like a lot of it is like back of the envelope stuff that like John Romero probably wrote once, you know. Like, mm. but it's I don't think it's quite bolt a story to this, partly because the story is quite tightly integrated into where you go and when, and has some major implications for the kinds of environments you see later on and things like that. But it's the it's it's actually simpler than that. I think it's that the, the they 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 did bolt a story to a sandbox ultimately, but they don't spend a lot of time giving you character moments or um, even a simple kind of geographical progression that you can pass, which is something that Doom 2016 did a lot better, where it's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I do know that I was there and I'm now here. <laughs> Whereas this is a game about like stitching things, you know, solving a big old demon problem across 
three different dimensions using your teleporting space castle teleporter to fling yourself into varying activity playgrounds full of monkey bars where you must kill everybody. And it, you know, and, and then even then, um, it, it's, it's just an interesting thing where it feels less, uh, and, and, and maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it's what we want games to be. It feels less like it's trying to be cinematic for your benefit. Like Doom 2016 has these moments where this is the point where you're going to get the BFG and it's going to feel like a big moment. And Mick Gordon's made some music specifically for this. Okay. This game has amazing dynamic music, which, which it re- reflects the intensity of the, the fighting that you're doing, but it doesn't have any individual moments of where like a specific track kicks in to, to accompany a specific moment. And while it does have like big, extremely silly escalations on Doom's basic premise, there is a BFG 10,000, uh, is very big. Um, and the thing you do with it is very silly, but you don't do that. You see like a first person cutscene with some excellent hands, I will say. Benson! But there are, there are moments where like, if I, I might be remembering this wrong, but like, minus, like, it's not really a specific spoiler, but like for Doom 2016, but like, that game ends with you basically being given the opportunity to do like a cool glory kill on the final boss. And it's, you know, it uses the the vocabulary of the game to that point to set that moment up for you. All of this game's moments like that, the controller is taken away from you completely. And I think it, it, it doesn't quite stick the landing as a result, just sort of as a, as a roller coaster ride, which is a kind of an interesting problem for it to have because it's, it's so success. It's so much more successful as a, piece of interactive action game that is there for you to create your own action movie moments with rather than have them given to you. Um, you were talking about the the final level being like you just sort of play Doom whilst occasionally diverting some fire to a, a damage bar. Yeah. Um, does anyone remember the end of Doom 2? Because that actually sounds kind of similar mm. where... It didn't have a boss because the, like, the, bo- the boss is a wall. The boss of Doom 1. Yeah, the boss is, yeah, the boss is just a, a wall. And there's a bunch of things I remember about this really clearly. It was like a sort of stepped arena and the mm. boss would spawn enemies by firing out these little cubes That's that would right. then turn into a random enemy type. And the noise of that thing firing out is this sound effect that is incredibly overused both in games and in movies. And once you notice it, you'll hear it everywhere. Oh, is it the shwash Yeah. Yeah. It's often used for like a room catching fire all at once, yeah. like a sort of rush or something, but it's also used for loads of mystic stuff, like any spells and things. It really, really um, stands out every time I hear it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also that the way you won that fight, the way you defeated the wall, you had to fire rockets into this like... I think it was like a, a piece, a sort of gem thing in the head of a goat skull or something. Um, but the reason that worked, if you no-clip and go inside it, was that the rocket goes down a little passageway and then hits a wall and it does splash damage to John Romero's head, <laughs> which is on a spike below it and is like slightly offset so that you can't shoot it with direct damage. And that's uh, once John Romero's head runs out of health, you win the game. <laughs> uh, so maybe skip ahead one minute or two minutes. I do want to say... Wouldn't it be funny if this Doom 2 ended with the same wall? Oh. <laughs> Is Romero does, in does, there? I, no. Did they put Romero in there? They, uh, as far as I can tell, no. And I don't want to. So, all I'll say is it's a direct throwback to that boss, but they have, they have upped the production values quite significantly. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's it is, it is yeah, this one is um, 
the theming is this is hell on earth right which is the theme of doom yeah exactly as well. yeah, yeah yeah it is it is like this is the thing it's like a direct sequel but also those games also happened um <laughs> it's it's the yeah there's it's it's if it's an in, interesting the, the degree to which they've taken the seriously the like you know you could argue ooh, from game design point of view is uh, parts of your arsenal aging out actually a problem is that something that actually gives players some brain room to fit new ideas in that's more interesting the 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 question that the, the problem they decided to solve which i don't think anyone thought was a problem is how do you create a timeline that makes sense of the divergent events of <laughs> doom 64 and doom 3 <laughs> but they they did so you know they they have they have solved that. If anyone was out there going like, well, actually, people almost certainly were. I, I don't want to make light of it because there's there's definitely a forum somewhere where people which have been fighting about this for like fifteen years. And now I've that, been I've been playing um Doom sixty four. It's good. Yeah, it is really good. Yeah, I got it on the Switch. Yeah, there's a reason they released it alongside this because yes. it's, oh, it's, right. it's 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 like why is this necessary narrative back matter? Uh, to fully understand the arc of the Doom Slayer and where he's been, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's it also. I, 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 there's not enough meat on those bones to do like a Doom spoiler podcast, but some of its some of its attempts to to keep a secret are very very funny. <laughs> so I think I think one thing we can all learn from is if you want to coyly imply that two different characters might be the same person. Maybe don't get the same voice actor to do the same voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Anyway, I don't want to don't want to spoil Doom for people, but I think you, know, you can't really. Sp- you fight a lot of devils, and you win. Them devils, they got up in space again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh no! Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes you fire the big the the big F jet gun, and it, it go far and and electrocute men. It's good. <laughs> Do you see that thing of, of how the BFG worked in Doom? Like the actual mechanics of how it was dealing damage? No. Because it was actually... It, it looks like it's firing a big ball of energy that then explodes and there's splash damage. But actually the ball is almost irrelevant to it. It's All of the damage comes from you uh, when the ball hits. And it's basically uh, like a shotgun. So when the ball impacts, at that moment, a load of ray casts come out of you to everything that you can see, basically, and uh, hits them all. And so you can do weird things like sort of fire the ball in one direction, then turn around and kill everyone you're looking at there. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it is. It is real good, though. I do recommend people see it through to the end, if not, if only for the kind of spectacle of it. You've been playing anything else, Chris? Um, I have played a lot more Martin Blade 2, um, which I don't want to... Uh, uh, sort of uh, go too deep on because I'm still progressing towards the mid-game, I think, except to say that my my impression of it has improved a lot since I last talked about it on the podcast. I was enjoying it, but I was had major concerns about the AI, and I still do. But I would say I think I've settled into a groove with it, and it's now genuinely really fun. There's two things I would recommend. One is definitely save scum. Like, this is a game in early access, and it's full of bugs. Um, and so... It's not the time for your purist, I'm going to live and die by the sword playthrough. Like, literally, just save scum. Save before you do anything, and load if something made it weird. Like, it's cool to keep cool outcomes sometimes, but, like, the other day, I, I've i been, you know, enjoying... My warband's a lot bigger now, and I've been enjoying kind of leading from the front on a on a horse, throwing spears into people. It's very it feels very satisfying. 
Um, and then I decided to wheel back through the day, back towards my, my, um, I settled into a rhythm now. The, the AI of the enemies I'm fighting hasn't gotten a lot better, but I now have like archers and foot mounted infantry, foot mounted. They're mounted on their own feet and <laughs> horse mounted infantry, <laughs> the other kind. Um, so they've and- got no feet, just horse. Yeah, just horse. Uh, centaur, we call it. Um, and so, um, detachable centaur. And so, um, what I do is I now have a battle plan, which basically means I wish I had a mode where you could set the starting arrangement of your troops before you committed to the battle. And this would solve one of its other problems, which is it seems like it's in a hurry to get out of its loading screens, so much so that often it will start a battle with you invisible and like a lot of other random assets not loaded yet. And they'll load in the first anything from like four to 20 seconds of the battle. And that is a complete lottery, like which things happen to be visible. And that is okay in a big battle where there's usually like a minute before things kick off. And it's completely unacceptable in the arena where sometimes you start next to the person who's trying to kill you. And this is exactly the reason you should be safe scumming and not, not trying to hope it works. But start of a big war battle now. I tell my archers to step back a few paces. Uh, so that they can uh, ideally up a hill a bit to fire over the heads of my infantry. I ask all of my cavalry, my detachable centaurs, to follow me, um, and I wheel around to the side, and I wait to the point where my archers start firing, and then I coordinate a big kind of charge in from the flank with my cavalry, cause a big mess, and then get my infantry to charge in. And it's really satisfying every single time. And the last time I did this, I charged, back, uh, and then usually there's a big mess, and, and cavalry charges break morale really quickly, so often people start running. And... I, um, I managed to expertly throw a spear at like the last fleeing uh, enemy, and it went straight into the back of one of my new recruits, like just straight through him, like took him straight out. Uh, but after the battle, it turned out he was not only only injured rather than uh, killed, he also got promoted. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, and and I promoted I promoted him I think to a spearman. So I, I like to think that was that was me like delegating his new position to him, <laughs> really actively. Like, here's something you might find useful. In your, yeah, in your exactly. Job. Like, like, um, like a bad boss, like throwing something, at, like throwing a beanbag unexpectedly during a a bad, uh, <laughs> you know, startupish meeting like catch and they weren't looking because they were holding a coffee or something um the other thing you can do as an irresponsible boss in mountain blade that i would recommend is um the arena so you go most cities have an well, i think all cities have an arena where you can do practice fights and things and every now and then they'll be hosting a tournament which is like a round based uh the 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 what you do in the the makeup of the individual rounds is random so it it just it starts with like 32 participants and brings it down to two through four rounds of fighting and there'll either be team battles uh you know mass melee a series of one-on-one duels or um and there could be a mixture of like cavalry and archers and things or it could be duels with the same weapons and this changes based on the culture that is hosting the duel there's a lot of things going on and they're fun and they and you can choose to spectate the ones you're not participating in or skip them and get to your own rounds but what's really cool about it is it takes the pool of competitors not from like a random set but from whoever is present in the city at the time and this includes your own warband so you'll end up fighting anything from your own companions to like that random novice archer you just hired in the arena and often you'll kick the shit out of them because you are better at this than them. And it, it has the same energy as like a, 
a dad getting too into their 12-year-old child's paintball game where you've you've taken everyone here and now now you are the winner like you're demanding all of your friends and employees to fight you uh for the benefit of a paying public and it's if they win the tournament which they can do you don't even get the prizes which seems bullshit to me um (laughs) but yeah but it's good uh and it's it's become much more of a meditative thing a bit like playing a, a grand strategy over the course of an afternoon or something you just sort of ride around and talk to weird faced noblemen and get in fights with your own people basically it's good um it's weird it's got it's getting a mod scene really quickly which i think is going to be really weird as an early access game like there are mods now that are not just like you know adding features but changing the fundamental balance of the game and i think that's going to be really strange for the developers to try and balance their own decision making when it comes to tuning with the fact that the community which is so ready for this game is now just uh, you know, avidly setting upon it to try and fix all its issues. I've been super tempted by it, but I, yeah, the, there's actually a lot of good things out at the moment. And mm. weirdly enough, my despite being stuck at home, my time is not as free as I'd like it to be. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I think it's one of those things that will always be there as well. And because of the both of its early access nature and the size of the modding community it's only going to get better and that's one of the reasons I would say don't be too precious about whatever playthroughs you do now like just enjoy the chopping should we do some questions yes we have a pretty short list of questions this week so do people should be encouraged to send them in um, as we're uh, continuing to get pods out in this new medium first question we have actually regards this new medium uh martin writes dear great incredible i'm very happy that you're continuing the podcast remotely in these troubled times a question for questions for questions now that physical presence is no longer required at recording sessions may we have tom francis back please love the show martin (laughs) from sweden Mm, the answer mm. is of course no no i'll think about it (laughs) (laughs) uh our next question comes from Eddie, who writes, Dear Khaki Avengers and Russian Castle Owners, I recently bought an Oculus Quest, aka the best of both worlds, affordable entry to VR gaming. It works brilliantly as a fun, full standalone headset, and with the purchase of a long old USB cable, it can be used as a very capable PC VR headset. I'm recommending this onwards as a way of getting into PC VR, as you can both buy the headset, a long VR cable, and a VR capable graphics card for less than the cost of an index. It's fairly hard to get hold of in the UK right now, but I managed to get one from the Oculus site with only a few days' lead time. I've been playing Alex and deliberately limiting my play sessions so as to not run out of game too quickly. It's a wonderful game which really starts to show off, uh, show VR off as more than just an experience platform, quote unquote. A question to justify the email to questions at questions from questions. Have you ever deliberately avoided playing or finishing a game so as to not be in a position where you didn't have that game to go back to anymore and has this ever backfired? I had my fingers burned by defeating Ganon in Zelda Breath of the Wild before I was ready to leave that game and then struggled uh, despite it giving me the option to head back in to re-engage. I had the opposite of Skyrim. I put off the main quest for so long and focused on side quests and eventually house building that I ran out of enthusiasm long before I got through the story. Thanks for the pods, Eddie. That uh, tip about the quest is uh, very uh, good. Uh, I was amazed to discover that the quest existed like a few months ago and realizing, wait, there's one that just, you don't have to plug it into anything. It just mm. works. It just is self-contained and it's cheap and it runs like most VR games. This actually, it doesn't run Alex by itself without the cable, but, um, 
a lot of other stuff does. Yeah, this is, um, I, I should actually note, we did actually receive a question on Twitter that might be pertinent to this um, from Binky Bonky, um, <laughs> who writes, in these times of isolation, I'm looking for some virtual reality. Which system would you recommend? There are any gotchas about either the system or buying suitable PC as someone new to PC gaming. Uh, not to insert this directly into the middle of this question, but before we get to the back of this question on the subject of VR headsets, it might be worth because I know you've had some experience with this, Tom, like talking through what we would recommend people go for now, availability notwithstanding. Yeah, which Tom do you mean there? Uh, <laughs> you, Francis. Because you have um, a Vive in a different country, for example. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> John has my Vive yeah. now. It's been it's been transferred, passed on. Um, it, uh, the Vive was... Uh, decent but i really found the controllers are a problem they have a, a menu button on the controller that um uh when i played beat saber i would always be pressing the menu button inadvertently mm. and you can't reassign it so if you grip the controller tightly i just tend to press that button and that stops the game and it ruins the flow that kind of killed beat saber for me but of course with a vive vive and index are sort of mutually intercompatible you can use um like uh like index controllers yeah. with a vive and things like that um so that's cool. Um, I just, in general, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit disillusioned with room scale VR when I've used, mm. having now used it, I used to have it at home in a two by one, uh, two meters by one meter, uh, space, which is like the minimum you can have. And that was, uh, a little bit awkward. Now I've used it in the ideal space, you know, huge spaces, the maximum space you can have basically. Um, and it's almost worse because, you lose track of where you are in the real space. And so you have to constantly be thinking about, oh shit, I'm like, I'm where I want to be in Alex, for example, but um, I'm actually at the edge of my space and I want to go in that direction. So now I've got to teleport. I think I've got to walk backwards in real life, but teleport forwards in the <laughs> game to like recenter myself. Mm. And it's just, I, you have, I found out to think about that all the time. I could never fully immerse because I'm always worried about where am I in this space? So I actually think kind of the, the walk around the, the VR dream of walking around a room, I think it's kind of overrated. I think you're better off without it. I think just sitting down or standing is Particularly better. Particularly as a home experience, I guess, because like a bespoke VR, you know, experience that you go to that is designed to account for that is one thing. But but yeah, because I, I would love, I love the idea of the index controllers and the kind of the granularity of them. But because I, I was thinking about finally getting into to VR stuff, but room scale is such a logistical hassle to figure out that I do wonder if it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, and you get, installing those lighthouses is another thing. That's why that's why I wasn't really tempted to bring my Vive over. I mean, a it's just a big thing to lug over, but also, um, you know, in the apartment I'm renting, I don't want to be drilling holes in the walls, and I don't want you can get like these big poles that go floor to ceiling to mount these things on, but they're pretty ugly and a, a big hassle to get hold of and set up and so it's just a very big investment yeah. for a thing that for a benefit i don't think really pays off because mm. it's interesting because it sounds like the oculus quest is one of those middle ground ones that might work better for people particularly because it's standalone yeah i would love to try that with um obviously it'd be good for beat saber which i know it runs and i hope that hollow point is on it which is that archery game because mm. that um that game is entirely about twisting around. You're surrounded by things in all directions <laughs> and spinning around and firing an arrow at something feels incredibly cool. But if you have a cable coming out the back of your neck, you are just endlessly ensnaring yourself in it. Have you continued to get mileage out of PSVR, Tom? Yes, but I would say that PSVR is is super entry level. 
um, in terms of the actual resolution you get from it and yeah. you know the actual performance you get from it and it though it is a proper good sit down system so it, all it requires is um a camera that sits on top of your telly so you don't, you don't have to mount loads and loads of equipment in order to get that tracking and it tracks remarkably well considering like it's a, i think it's a remarkable piece of technology but ultimately a budget version yeah. of the real experience um so i think if you're really interested in getting into vr i think you just probably spend more and mm. get something attached to your pc which will also give you uh access to the the greater uh, ecosystem beyond just the ps psvr library yeah um, even though there's loads of great stuff on there, like that you'll get more out of PC VR, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's easy to spend a lot of money. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, yeah, I'm still not sure where the, the middle ground is. I think I ended up going for a PC upgrade before I did any of that stuff, but, but yeah. Yeah, because we, yeah, yeah, you going on, Axel? Well, no, I was just, yeah, because like, um, the Alex, Alex does demand a fairly good computer. Like it, yeah, I think we all own computers that are way behind the curve. Hmm. Got to sell those turnips. Yeah, not great. <laughs> if only, if only. I'm a billionaire now. Pleased to know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a uh, didn't misspeak. Let's return to Eddie's question and particularly the bit then. So, uh, have you ever deliberately avoided playing or finishing games? So it's not to be in a position where you didn't have that game to go back to anymore, and has it ever backfired? Anybody? Uh, I experience this all the time with RPGs that I love. Hmm. Where I know the final boss is looming, but it's almost like, you know, that the, the worry, not the worry, but like um, the reluctance to finish an amazing book. Yeah. Which I'm sure everyone has felt, where it's just, you feel so invested in the world and uh, that you know that when you close the book, that's it. And then that's sort of gone in some way. <laughs> and that feels like almost too sad to actually really press on and actually finish it and also i think like it could buy it depends how keen you are to finish things like i don't i've never particularly derived any feeling of success from actually beating games as people say like i'm happy for games mm. to just sort of still exist and not be finished mm. um just with the idea that i might one day come back to them even though i never will <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i didn't have this quite but i had sort of the inverse where um i keep thinking Lately, I kept thinking, oh, man, I should get back into um, uh, Assassin's Creed, Greece, whatever it's called, Odyssey. Um, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I should, I should really like get back into that and uh, try and remember where I was and stuff. And I finally did it the other day and realized, oh, I finished it. <laughs> I forgot. I, I finished this whole game. Like, I've done, uh, I haven't done every quest, obviously, because it's an insanely huge uh, number of side quests. But the actual, like, there's four main quests, and I've done them all. And I've done, uh, there's kind of some follow-up stuff you need to do to access the... Um, is it just called the Atlantis DLC? Mm, yeah, there's because I'm in I'm in Elysium now. Is that Atlantis? That's, the, that's like <laughs> those, that's the, like the good gods. afterlife. Right? Yeah, yeah, but I feel like I had to do an Atlantis thing you to get there. Um, but <laughs> Elysium that seems is, that sounds uh, like good closure to me. Uh, it's so this is a DLC that's like a proper big chunk of land, like a, rather than an isolated quest in the in the existing world. Um, and my favorite thing about it is that I, I've always kind of um, 
you know, laughed at the fact that I can sort of take a boat to a new continent and I whistle and my horse is there. Mm. And now I've gone to the afterlife and I whistle and my horse is <laughs> <laughs> there. Like, I like to imagine that back there in the real world, it just kind of hears this faint whistling coming from the, the spirit realm and decides to just kill itself so it can come back. That's actually pretty mythological, you know? Like, I can imagine that. Yeah, that would Maybe be they buried you with the horse. I, you know, like... Um... I guess it's just just say in case anyone's worried that that's not like a spoiler. There isn't like a a death thing exactly. It's it's much more of a conventional. Just go there because you're a, a player, so you get to do whatever yeah. you like and go yeah, to yeah. see meet every famous person, defeat every mythological creature, go to every mentioned location in Greek mythology. Um, it's absolutely gorgeous though. That that chunk of land is um, uh, just beautiful. Mm. And another good escapist game because it's just like a really lovely holiday in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> The games kind of don't like being finished anymore, though. Like, sort of, Odyssey, mm. I don't think, surely no one's finished it. Nobody is, <laughs> nobody has, like, fully rinsed that game, you know, and ordered it's DLC. I bet we can look at the achievements, because there's probably an achievement for getting oh, every achievement. Amazing. Right? Yeah, we should look it up. It's been weird. I've been playing um, Odin Sphere um, a lot this week, which is actually a very old PlayStation 2 RPG that's been remastered um, beautifully for modern consoles and I'm afraid it's not on PC uh, but that has a very very unusual structure where you go through several different like separate stories and so that game has already ended for me but now I've started from the beginning with a different character in a completely different part of the underworld and they're going to have their own story and I know there's another character to exp- you know go through as well after this and so it's just multiple endings, and what a strange way to structure a game. It's mm. such an unusual experience, but I actually really value it because it sort of chunks it up in a manageable way. And I, 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 f- I find those, uh, the ending I've seen far more satisfi- satisfying as a result, because I know that it's just it's a gateway to the next thing rather than just being the, the game. Yeah, ends. right. Yeah, I think I think I always end. I think a bit like you, Tom. I end up prepping for the end of a game that I love, and therefore it's one of the reasons that I always. I, I'm such a big put so much emphasis on like a game that escalates well or ends well and places spends enough time on its ending. Um, like payoff is is super important, I think, because it's where you start to get closure on a fantasy world that you've been spending time in. And I, I think I don't necessarily hold off on playing a game, but I try and like tee myself up for those moments to have that impact. So the best example of this is like Bioware games, which have mm. busy work and the plot missions where all the budget is um where i'll always like i'm not someone who can play all of the plot missions back to back i have to do like an amount of the busy world busy work of the open world stuff or the side quests to to make the next big plot moment feel uh exciting to go into and almost to ration them out because i know that there's a finite amount of them and that they are going to be the most exciting parts of the game and I think the only time this is, I think there are games where I like, and I, I can do this fast. Like I played through all of Mass Effect three in a weekend and when it first came out and did all of the, that sort of interstitial stuff in sort of like fast forward while also kind of getting ready for these big moments, but I just sort of didn't sleep. Um, but I remember trying to do this for Dragon Age Inquisition. And I think the gamble with this approach is, it gambles on the next story mission or the next, um, or the ending of the game, particularly being substantial enough to, to, to justify the, the kind of setup that you've done for it, the, the holding off. Whereas, uh, for example, 
I love Dragon Age Inquisition, but it's very final mission I think is quite underwhelming and a lot shorter than a lot of Bioware finales where you put yourself on the you know the 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 one way street to endings town and then you're there for like a couple of hours it it happens to have I think quite an underwhelming ending and as a result all of that setup felt like it sort of actually actively made it seem even more underwhelming because I built it up too much whereas actually one of the exceptions to that I think kind of remarkably is Mass Effect Andromeda which I will continue to defend even after, even as people forget that it happened, which is the state we're in, <laughs> which is the stage you're at now. Um, where Mass Effect Andromeda, which has a fast amount of business work in it, has an ending, I think, equal to the, equal to the scope of the potential time you could have spent in that world. So it's actually like, I think it's one of the best paced finales in the series. Um, it, it doesn't, it's, it's, pretty substantial there's multiple times for different characters to shine it's exciting there's loads of things going on and so in that case i felt kind of rewarded for having not rushed to that point but let it be built up um i don't know if you can even still buy mass effect andromeda as far as i can tell <laughs> as far as i can tell it just vanished off the face of the into a time hole yeah, yeah. um let me think of um mass effect 2 uh which i think the great thing about that game is that it flags up super early that you are gearing up for this one mission mm. and that like i think that mm. the sort of um the clarity of that and the fact that you know it's all or nothing and that your actions will definitely you know if you don't do enough people will die um companions will die etc that's made quite clear to you the game communicates it mm. to you really really well um and i can't think of many games that really set up the finale so early and then sort of set you off to try and achieve it um i think that was a that's a really great idea. Yeah, the things I love about that game. Yeah, I think um, I think there are some. I think Chrono Trigger might be an example of a game that does that, but it's just showing you what you're up against, and then right. timey wimey stuff to take you back to the beginning. Like, um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think I, I, I think the, the the only downside to that approach is it it tells you what the scope of the thing is going to be, and it somewhat takes away the ability to be surprised. Like, I think. I think what I kind of want is somewhere in the middle where you know you're going to go up against this big thing, but the game has something else in store for you at the end to surprise you or to like, I like a coda. I like a, mm. or, or a sort of, uh, a certain change in, in, in stakes or the scope of what you, you're trying to achieve. I think what well, games are really good at that. Um, but I just like endings. I think I just like really long endings. <laughs> Speaking of really long endings. <laughs> uh, that's actually all the questions we got this week. So uh, if anyone does want to send a question in for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com or tweeting us at crateandcrowbar. Uh, thank you, as ever, to everybody who backs the podcast on Patreon. You have allowed us to invest in this new cast setup, which will allow us to do pods with people as far away as Vancouver and maybe Brighton. We'll see. Um, and you have also uh, allowed me to fail to fix my echo problem, which I hope is better this week. But I, I have put a little towel in my microphone as if that's going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Um, you can find our community on Discord, the link for which is on our website, createcrowbar.com. You can find this podcast and others like it, quite a lot like it, on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash create and crowbar. I think that's all the things I say during the long ending. 
Um, any surprise twists? You should uh, pick up the Animal Crossing pods. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pip and I have recorded two Animal Crossing podcasts at this point. We don't want to promise this is becoming a series. We're just going to do them when we feel like doing them. But I think, well, hopefully people will have noticed because I think I did put them in the main podcast feed. So these have been sort of dropped in your path regardless. But if you're playing Animal Crossing or you're wondering why it's all anyone's talking about, uh, do do check them out because they've been fun to, to do. And also it's nice to hear from Pip because that's where she lives now. <laughs> I think everyone play Animal Crossing. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> got, a friend of mine has a really good turnip price, so I've got to oh, so yeah, let you go. get to her yeah. island to sell them. Was it? Because it's, yeah, you, you'll be fine. It's the afternoon for you, so you've got the rest of the day. Yeah, you've I've got, got a long time. Mm, it's good to buy bridges. <laughs> I'm actually paying for a ramp right now. Nice. Nice. Well, I did uh, <laughs> stay in, uh, in the middle of lunchtime in uh, PC Games Slack, uh, UK editor Phil Savage dropped in the fact that his turnips were selling for five eighty, and uh, damn, and there was a gold rush. There was <laughs> <laughs> he opened up his uh, his island, and we all went there. I saw Andy Kelly. I saw I saw all of them like ghosts. I I, I swept past them. I didn't care about them. I cared about I cared about the turnip price, and I made a cool out of my way, losers. <laughs> Get out of the way, my friends and colleagues. Um, and then I, I made a cool 200k. Nice, nice. It's a good turnip nice. price. Yeah, reinvest that, you know? I like, will, I will. Yeah, get on them. <laughs> I, I can't believe I've become some kind of turnip capitalist. But it, it it's it's nice having a bit of liquid capital floating around. Pays for things you don't know you want, <laughs> like in my case today, a fireman outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still dressed as a fucking egg in that game. <laughs> 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 oh, it's so good! It's yeah, so it's good. Really good. It's really good. I um I found out today in Animal Crossing that it treats all fridges and freezers as wardrobes. Has anyone else noticed this? Yeah, <laughs> like so I, I have this like large freezer, like like bench freezer in my kitchen. Um, that it's the kind of freezer that you'd hide a body in in Hitman. And I went up to it and it was like, "Do you want to change?" Like this is probably the- <laughs> you can just get changed. You can get you can change all your clothes at the freezer. <laughs> oh oh oh! For fa- fans of the Great Crowbar um D and D run that we did, uh, I have created a chegg in Animal Crossing. A chegg. <laughs> I've created a chegg. How so? Um, so I've got a, an islander who's visited and who lives here now, uh, which is a giant chicken. And what you do is uh, during the egg event, you could dress up as an egg. Uh, but also you could talk to your villagers and if you give them gifts that are clothes they will start wearing them so I have uh, I've given a load of egg stuff to this chicken and sometimes she just sort of like wanders around with as though she just hatched but it's still kind of <laughs> half egg half chicken and um, I've done it I've done it I think I feel like I've completed Animal Crossing now <laughs> <laughs> that's the key to soft set goals I know I had I thought about D&D again uh, that D&D campaign again just because my one day my little orchard island was just full of like just apples and oranges and it just sort of put that stupid thing back in my head again for the first time in, in ages you can't uh, make in a plunge though but what you can do <laughs> is poo do you know you can poo in Animal Crossing what yeah yeah, I've got I've got a toilet on a cliffside. <laughs> so, so if you when you, when you need to get rid of some fruit, yeah. Resistant. So basically, what? if you, if you eat fruit, your spade becomes very powerful, and it gains it gains the power <laughs> to, to destroy rocks, which you kind of don't want to do, or 
completely uproot trees, which is reversible. Um, but you may be in a situation where you are too powerful and you need to rid yourself of fruit power. And if you sit on a toilet, you will steadily shed fruit. What? Yeah. Good I Lord. Do this. As you... And when you get off, he's, there's a little dialogue line about, well, that's that technical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys like Death Stranding all over again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Death Stranding eerily prescient in the way that it predicted Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I've been Chris Thurston. Someone else has been Alex Wilshire. Yeah, they have. Who else has been? <laughs> I've been Tom Francis, yeah. and that all that leaves is. Uh, Thomas the Chonk Engine. <laughs> 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 okay, yeah, yeah, Tom Senior. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>